Legacy is so much more than the things we leave behind. It's the relationships we forge, the kingdom we build, and the light we bring into this world. Our legacy is the wake we leave behind us, the ripples of which can be felt by every generation to follow. What will you leave behind? Legacy. If you're excited to be in the house of God today, go to put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. We also welcome our online family today that we get to celebrate all the goodness of God in the house of God. Amen. Well, church family, there's so much happening in the life of our church. We're in group semester season, so we hope after the services you're going out there and finding a good group to get plugged into and build community. Also, tomorrow is our sun up, the sundown prayer and fast. Anyone excited about praying and fasting? That's what I like to hear. Someone asked me one time, why do you guys pray and fast so often? I said, because we can't afford not to pray and fast often. Have you been in our community? Have you met my children? I have to pray and fast often. Joking, joking. But we truly know that we can't ask God to do anything that we're not willing to pray and fast about. So tomorrow night, right where you're sitting, I'm going to challenge you. Come hang out with us. 6.30 it starts. You can stay the whole hour. You can stay 15, 20 minutes. You can bring the kids and PJs. But here's what we have to create in the DNA of not just our church, but of our children, our next generation. God has always called his people to pray and fast. And watch this. You can read it. This morning in our Dream Team huddle, if you didn't know, we gather at 9.30 as a Dream Team. You can join us. But we talked about Ezekiel. When they stopped praying and fasting, they fell away from God. And so we're going to pray and fast, say focus on God, say alignment and agreement. Amen? And so come join us there. It's going to be a great time, and uh, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. And the last thing here before we jump into our message is today is an important day. Today we remember, today we commemorate 9-11. You know, there's, there's a few moments in your life where you remember exactly where you were, you remember exactly what you were doing, and this is one of those moments. You know, every year we try to honor this moment well, and I asked someone who was there, and I said, well, how do we, how do we best honor those who are part of 9-11, whether they were a person in the building, a person outside, or they were a first responder. Thank God for our first responders and our officers and our firefighters, those who stand in the gap. I said, how do, how do, we, how do we remember you well? And, and they said, just keep the memory alive. Just don't forget about our sacrifice. Don't forget about those who lost their lives in a line of duty and those family members who were given us. So today, we take a moment of silence and we remember. Remember the sacrifice. Remember the lives that were lost. So will you join me just for a moment, for a moment of silence. Amen, and thank you so much, church family. Well, today we continue in a series called Witness. Have you enjoyed Witness? I hope that you have. Who's, who's given someone a card? Have you taken one of the cards from your seat and invited someone to church? I hope you have. I was talking to someone who's, who's, uh, who did that and and their family has come and their kids have come and enjoyed the services. And what we know is that um, we have to make sure that as a church family that we are witnessing the way Jesus called us to do that. And every week we're unpacking scripture and, and showing you the importance and the sacredness of being a witness. That you and I can't afford to waste time. You and I can't afford to be ashamed. You and I can't afford to go back and forth. Should I invite my neighbor? 
Like I did scream at them last year when their Christmas decorations fell on my side of the yard. Like I, that did happen. It was a real thing. You know, should I invite my coworker where they've seen the worst of me? Yes, yes, and yes. You may be the only Jesus they see. The Bible says your friends and your family, they may not read the Bible, but watch this. You and I were a written epistle read of men. And so I'm going to encourage and continue to challenge each and every one of you. That card that says witness, that needs to be a name of a family, a name of a friend, a name of a coworker, a name of someone. Just think, how did you get here? I'm here today because in 1987, a guy named Russ Whited invited my father several times. The first time he invited my father, my dad said, I'll tell you where you can send you and your God. My dad was straight up from South Jersey, Camden. Have you heard? Straight up. He said, where was your God when I was orphaned at 12? He said, where was your God when I was abused? Where was your God when I spent Christmas by myself? So this is the trauma our, our culture is in, right? Where has your God been? And Russ Whitey was just consistent. Watch this. Not consistent with telling him he's going to hell. Consistent with telling him how much God loved him, how much God was for him. And he didn't know he had three little kids at home who needed God. He didn't know legacy was going to be there one day. But because he cared enough about one guy named Carlos Serrano, the rest, as they say, is history. And so hopefully that means something to you. Today I want to share these next few moments together from this message. Someone say it with me. No time to waste. And I know, culturally speaking, we're in a retirement community. You know, we're very just laid back here where we are. I don't know if you're watching online from somewhere else in the world, but we're just laid back here in this community. And one of the, the things the enemy can do is think that we have time. And fool us with, we have all this time to get things together and get our lives together, prepare others, but there's no time to waste. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your love. And Lord, this is our very real demonstration of welcoming you into this place for your kingdom come and your will to be done. Lord, I pray today, open the mysteries of your word. Let the scales fall off that we might see you in the truest form, Lord, that no one and nothing gets in the way. Every distraction, every hindrance falls, we pray. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, the most interesting species on planet Earth is the human species. Have you lived long enough to know this? Have you lived long enough to just to, to not be surprised anymore by, by people or by things they say or by things they do? Have you lived long enough to know that? You know, it's interesting that uh, as people, we celebrate our differences, right? If, you, if you've watched God, God was showing off with humanity. Like none of us look alike. We're different shades and different colors and different cultures. We're, we're big, we're small, we're, we're, we're all different kind of features. Big nose, small nose, big lips, small lips. We have all these different features and God was just showing off with humanity, wasn't he? And you see that we're different in so many ways, but what's interesting is that the more you get to know humanity, we're alike in so many ways. And I remember learning this lesson years ago, not my first job, but in my second job. Anyone remember your second job? My first job was at Papa John's Pizza. Courtney says I can't cook, but she hasn't put any dough around me. That's why she doesn't think I can cook. You put some dough around me, I'll make a mean pizza. But in my second job, it was Family Christian Bookstore. Anybody remember Family Christian Bookstore? It's five of you with hands up. The rest of you heathens? You didn't, go, you didn't go to Family Christian Bookstore? 
I'll confess, I might have been a bit of a Christian nerd. I worked at a family Christian bookstore. Okay. This place was thriving. It was a place to be in the 90s. Where else were you going to get your DC Talk CD or tape? Where else? Where else was the latest Rebecca St. James album going to be purchased? If you didn't get the new Curve Franklin God's property, you were missing out. We even had sound stations. We had sound stations where you could listen to the CD or listen to the tape if you wanted to purchase it or not. It was a big deal. It's a really big deal for those of us who were saved in the room, not the rest of you heathens who never went to family Christian bookstore. And I was serious about this job. I would, after soccer practice, I'd go up the street to family Christian bookstore. And I was serious about this job because the flip phone wasn't paying for itself, if you know what I mean. This is late 90s. Flip phone wasn't paying for itself, and the minutes weren't being put on the flip phone by themselves either. So the flip phone was charged. It was put in the side of the pants. You know what I'm talking about? You'd open it up and you'd put it like on the side of your pants. And just so people knew that you meant business, you pulled the antenna up. Because we might be talking right now, but I might get a call. The minutes are loaded. The phone is paid for, and I might get a call, so we're talking, but this may end, so just so you know, antenna up, I'm kind of important at this place in my life. Because Courtney may or may not call at any moment, which usually that didn't happen, but if it did, I was ready. If she decided to, I would be ready for that moment. And I remember having this job, and I remember having my flip phone at the ready, I remember the most popular section in Family Christian Bookstore was the section on the afterlife. It was fascinating. We had Bibles, all kind of curriculums, all kind of CDs, uh, Fred Hammond, and and, and all kind of Gaither gospel moments, and you know, but it was the afterlife stuff. People who were believers and people who were unbelievers. They came to find out what happens after this thing ends, after this life is said and done. What happens? And you had all kind of books about the afterlife and what that looked like. And what it began to show me at a very impressionable age is that we are so different. But at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all wondering, how does this thing end? And we're all wondering, are we prepared for when this thing ends? No matter where we come from, no matter what cultural backgrounds or leans or bends, we are all the same in the sense that we want to know what happens next. And there's a reason for that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, The Lord, he has put eternity in man's hearts. So if you find yourself today or some point in your life saying, you know what? There's got to be more to life than this. Am I just a husband? Am I just a parent? Am I just an employee? Am I just saving one day to retire? Am I just retired until one day that I died trying to spend all my money? There's got to be more than this in life. And, And here's the thing, an eternal God Put an eternal beacon on the inside of each and every person's humanity, believer and non-believer, because today we have people right here with us who believe and people who honestly don't believe, and that's okay, and people who are online who don't believe, and that's okay, because what we want to show you is that we're all the same. We have this thought. We have this yearning. What happens next? (laughs) No one can tell us because we've not been there. What happens next? And, and what we see is this, we're, we're more alike than we are different. Have you asked this question before? Are you considering this question now? And Jesus, of all people, will handle this question. Here's the thing about God. Here's the thing about the Bible and about Jesus. You'll find this out. He can handle the tough questions. Did you know that? 
I, I don't know if I should say that out loud, but the doubt, the fear, the worry that I have about God, he's big enough. And Jesus in Luke chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 19, if you'll take your Bibles out and open up your apps. He begins to handle the question that's on everybody's mind, what happens next? And what you're going to see is Jesus, he begins to have this very direct conversation with the people who are listening. And if you go back to verse 14, you'll see that the people who are listening, they're the religious elite of that time. They're the ones that Jesus is really rough with. And let me just teach you something really quick. You know, we're really, um, in our culture, we're really rough with non-believers. Do you know that Jesus was rough on religious people, not unbelievers? He was rough on the ones who knew better. He was rough on the ones that they were, he called them the whitewashed sepulchre. They looked good on the outside, real nice on a Sunday, but on the inside, full of bias and division and dead man bones, full of all kind of hypocrisy. He was really rough on believers, and you're going to see this here, but he opens this exchange up in this, um, in this conversation where the conversation is, what happens after we die? What, 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 what happens there? And, and so you may or may not be familiar with this um, passage of Scripture, and, and scholars are split on it. Some would say it's a parable, and some would say it's not a parable, because if it's a parable, it's not introduced as a parable. Um, there's names, which typically in a parable there's not. There's not a common theme or, 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 or more of the story, so they're split on it. But either way, what Jesus is doing here, he's opening up the mysteries of the kingdom right in front of us. The mysteries of the kingdom, things that you and I need to know so that we know there's no time to waste. And so let's jump in here in verse 19. It says this, there's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Someone say sumptuously. Just a fun word to say. But there was, here's the other person, a certain beggar named what? Lazarus. You don't typically get these in parables, but we get a name here. Lazarus, who was full of sores and was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his source. Anyone could have done without that one. So it was that when the beggar died, so here's the next transition in their lives, when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to a place called Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments, plural, multiple ways of suffering, torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. And so Abraham, you guys remember the father of our faith, Abraham, starts in Genesis, okay? Afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. This is a, it's a different take, right? He was a rich man who was living sumptuously. He had it all together. Now we see this take where in the afterlife, he's not living the same. And so now he's crying out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, oh, now he remembers him, okay, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And you would think the rich man would be done with his request, right? He doesn't stop. Verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, talk about Lazarus again, to my father's house. Watch this. 
For I have not one, I've got five brothers. Anyone have any siblings in the house? I've got five siblings that he may testify. And watch how beautiful this is. Least they also come to this place of torment. He said, I missed it. I lived for the world. And now I'm here, but I don't want them to come to this place. I don't want them to be like me. Abraham said to him, but they have Moses. They have the prophets. In other words, say they have the Old Testament. They have Torah. They have all the scripture. They have all that they need. The word is powerful enough to do the work. He said, let them hear them. Let them take it serious in verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But watch this. If one goes to them from the dead. Sound familiar? If one goes to them from the dead, they will, and here's the key. Someone say it with me. Repent. You're going to see this word again. They will repent. Repent means I'm going one way, but I turn completely the other way. They will repent and live a different life. But he said to them, or he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rise from the dead. Some heavy stuff. See, the thing when you're preaching the words of Jesus, there's no softball messages. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you come into a place like this, there's no softball message because we're reading from the word of God, from the words of Jesus. And this is why, true story, Jesus' church, did you know that Jesus was a church planner? Yep. Three years, lost his entire church. That's all it took. Because of these heavy messages. We, we love Jesus so much. Would you have been a part of his church? At the, the apex of his fame, the feeding of the 5,000 and all these other great things, he looked over and he said, oh, we got a clear room because these people are here for, for the stuff. He says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Clear the room. Clear the room. What was he doing? He would see if they'd hang on until the Passover. They'd hang on till the last moments, and they weren't there for him. They were there for the stuff. They were there for the networking. They were there for the, the blessings outside of him. And so Jesus, in a very real sense, goes to the cross with his church at zero because sometimes the messages were harder. Sometimes you came and you invited someone. You're like, oh, we're talking about hell. I didn't see that one coming exactly. Uh, I didn't know where this was going. Um, yeah, okay. But he would teach these messages because he loved humanity. Because a good parent is truthful with their children. And so he goes into this passage and he tells a story about two different men who lived two different lives and ended up in two completely different places. One man is unnamed. He's called the rich man, which the Bible does this often. They'll just describe someone by a feature or something in their life. And so if I'm in the Bible, they're calling me the short man with tight pants, okay? <laughs> True story. My daughter's always like, Dad, your pants are so tight. I'm like, they're not. I bent over last week and a button popped off my pocket. <laughs> you know when you look around and see if anybody saw what happened? I looked around. No one was there. I picked the button up, put it in my back pocket, and kept on walking. Anyways, there was a man called the rich man. And then there's another man who in this, we're not typically given names like this, but we are in this exchange, who is called Lazarus. And if you're a Bible scholar in the room, you know that Lazarus is the Greek translation of his Hebrew name. And so his Hebrew name would be El God and Azar, which means a helper. And so his name means my God is my helper. Isn't that beautiful? 
My God is my helper. And don't confuse this Lazarus with the one from John 11. It's a different Lazarus. And so I want to paint the picture so you understand the two guys here. So on the screen, we're going to have, we're going to have the rich man and we're going to have Lazarus. And the difference in the two guys. All right, so here's the difference. You have one who's wealthy and one who's poor. You have one who's well-dressed, wearing all the designers, and one who's homeless. You have uh, one who's well-fed, one who's begging for food. You have one who lived in luxury and one who lived a life of poverty and disease, one died and went to torment, and then one died and went to paradise. And so there's the, the parody. There's a difference in the two that Jesus unpacks for a reason, and he gives us this insight. But here's what we have to do from the beginning. Please don't get confused and think that being wealthy sent the rich man to torment. That'd be a poor understanding, a poor interpretation, and not what Jesus was trying to teach us in this in this piece. And please don't think Lazarus being poor and in poverty sent him to paradise or Abraham's bosom. Not the case at all. What you'll find out is this. It wasn't that the rich man owned stuff. It was that the stuff owned him. Because you can be wealthy and build God's kingdom and honor God. I know several people like that. I'm sure as you do as well. And you can be poor and that owns you constant need and always looking for something else. And so what we see here, it wasn't what they had is what had them. And so for Lazarus, obviously the experience is different where he has the Lord. He has a heart that's been repented before the Lord. And another thing I want to, I want to show you here is that the afterlife after you and I die, watch this, it's a continuation of what you're living right now. It's a weird thought to think that we're all going to die. Like you and I, the date is set. We are going to die. It's going to happen. And when that day comes, watch this. It's a continuation of your current life in this sense. If you spent your whole life welcoming God into your life, I want God in my decisions. I want God in my marriage. I want God in my relationships, in my, in my, in my children. I want God in my career. I want God in my finances. And everything I do, I want to seek the Lord's face in his word. I want to be in his house. I want to be accountable to his people. I want God. And so in the afterlife, when we die, it's a continuation of spending eternity with God. We have been asking God our entire life. We want more of you, want more of you. And then we spend eternity with him. On the flip side, if you and I, which is very popular in our culture, they say we believe in God and everything else, right? But if we spend our entire life not welcoming God into our home, not welcoming God into our marriage, not welcoming God into our finances, I got this. Not welcoming God into our career progression, I got this. Not welcoming God into our hopes, our dreams, our goals, and our thoughts, watch this. The afterlife is God just giving you what you've always wanted. You didn't want me in your life. You didn't want me in your decisions. You didn't want me in your home. You didn't want me in your marriage. You didn't want me raising your kids. You didn't want me in your decisions. So the afterlife is not whether we believed or not in God. The Bible says that demons believe and they tremble. It's not about belief. It's about a demonstration of a repentive heart. And so the afterlife is just, okay, eternally, I don't have to be with you or in your life any longer. And so that's what we're seeing right here, the depiction of these two stories. The reason Lazarus is in paradise is because of a condition of his heart. The rich man is not right with God. And that's why he ends up in torment. And then they, they have this conversation, which is quite remarkable that we're, we're seeing a depiction of how this works. And I want you to see this in Luke 16, and we'll kind of glaze over verses 27, 28, and 30. But watch this. As we see, the rich man actually knows why he, why he is there. He knows why he is there. Watch this. 
He says, I beg you that you would send him, talking about Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers. And look at verse 30. They will repent. Like, I need them to repent. It's not a conversation. Hear me. It's not a conversation about believing in God or not. It's a conversation about repentance. It's a conversation about, I've been walking this way my whole life. I've been this person, this, this type of attitude, this type of situation. You know what you're doing. You're getting what you're dealing with me. But there was never this turning. There was never this that ever happened. And so he's saying, I know I'm here not for, not that I didn't believe in God. And, and watch this. Maybe he went to synagogue. Maybe he went to temple. Maybe he donated to, to organizations. But there was never a repentance. And he's aware of that. He says, I'm here because I didn't live a life that resembled repentance. Because we can talk all day long, but the Bible is looking for a repentive heart. It's looking for a demonstration of our loyalty and our allegiance to God. And he says, if you go to my brothers, I need them to repent. Because as the older sibling, clearly he didn't live in a way that would change the dynamic of his siblings, right? He was building bigger barns, just not building his spiritual walk with God. And so he's concerned that his family don't put the things of God priority, but other things. He understands that this is about repentance. And so understanding how this depiction of this, uh, this concept, this, this understanding of, of the afterlife that Jesus is telling us here today, we're going to go just a little bit deeper for some who maybe have not been exposed to a lot of the Bible or a lot maybe of, of what Jesus would say when it comes to the afterlife. And so what we did here today is make sure that there's a good description of that. We'll have something on the screen to kind of show you what this looks like. But what you and I are working through is this kind of 21st century understanding of what he's talking about. We hear Abraham's bosom or we hear the word Hades. What is happening here in the scripture is that in the Hebrew, you guys know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, right? In the Hebrew, there's a place called Sheol. Someone say Sheol. When you translate Hebrew to Greek, because the New Testament is written in what? Greek. It becomes Hades. When you translate Hades to English, it becomes what? Hell. All right, so you got your study for today. So Old Testament, Sheol, the place of torment, okay? And then you've got, which is actually a place that's separated for torment and paradise. Then you've got the translations. But now I want to show you on the screen how this is different. So you had one place called Sheol divided into two different sides. Paradise on one side, okay? And then you had torment on one side. And so what is the depiction here that Jesus is showing us in these two? Both died. Both were immediately sent somewhere because of the actions and the demonstration of their life. And in these two places, you can't get between. Why? Because of the chasm, okay? So Sheol is one place divided into two different sections, is that new for some people? Sheol at this time, watch this, before Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects from our sin, for our sins, was one place divided into two different sections, paradise or Abraham's bosom. And so we see that here in a very real way. This is the description that we're getting and understanding that it's divided into these two places and that sometimes the language of our American culture would kind of throw us off. Well, Sheol, hell, and Hades, same place? Yes, at this time, but divided into two different sections. So in this time, how did Lazarus get to paradise, Abraham's bosom, and how did the rich man get to torment? Well, in this time, there was something called temporary righteousness where every year the patriarch would do what? He would take a lamb to the temple, 
representative of his family, and you would take that lamb, you'd put it on the altar. Watch this. You'd put it on the altar, you'd put your weight on the lamb. Symbolic of the weight of your sins. Symbolic of the weight of your marriage, the sins of your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, your family. You'd put your weight on the lamb. The priest would come and slit the animal. Not going to say where. But the blood would come out, and that would be the temporary blood offering, the temporary righteousness. You had to do this year upon year upon year to show that, number one, you were loyal to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You were loyal to Yahweh, Adonai, only one God. You were loyal to him, and you believed in this. So every year after year, you had to do this. And some people didn't care about it. I don't have to say forgiveness of my sins. I don't have to repent to God. I don't live a life of repentance. I'm not going to the priest every year. I'm not doing... So this is how... The rich man, not because of what he has, but because of what has him, right? Not because he golfs and fish and is into sports and into his career, but because of what had him, he ends up in torment. So this is what's happening. This is what Jesus is unpacking here for us, is in this, 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 this place, this holding place of torment and, and paradise before Jesus dies on the cross. And so if you ever heard someone say, well, you can pray someone out of these places, this is probably where they got confused from. Where there's no evidence, as you can see, you can't pray a person from torment to paradise. You can't pray them from paradise to torment, right? Because if one would work, the other would have to work, right? You can go both ways. Well, I'm going to pray somebody out of paradise to torment. That's mean to do, right? You wouldn't do that. But, but, but that's how somebody would, would maybe get that understanding that, oh, you can pray somebody out. You can't. It, it was final. Once they died, they went to these places. So now what I want to be able to show you is this, is that Paradise and heaven are not the same thing, okay? We, and you're going to appreciate the blood of Jesus a whole lot more after this message. What you're going to see here is that when Jesus dies on the cross, what is he doing? He's becoming that lamb once and for all. As he dies on the cross and he tells God, it is what? It is finished? What is finished? This. This temporary place, this temporary righteousness, this temporary sacrifice. He said, it is finished. But then also, what does he say in Luke 23, 43? The thief says, Lord, remember when you come into your kingdom. What does Jesus say? He says, I say to you today, you'll be with me where? Be in paradise. Be in paradise. Because he had not yet died and descended. Be with me today in paradise. And so up until A.D. 33, this, this was the model, and this is what Jesus is framing in this conversation of this place and, and what it looked like. The, the principle was the same, having the righteousness that God brings, a repentant heart, and living for him. But this is what Jesus was teaching in a very real way, and here's what's throwing the listeners for a loop. Because in first century Jerusalem, in this type of Judaism, they believed that your circumstances in your life were predicated on God being for you. So for instance, the rich man was spiritual and God blessed him because he had money. So they thought that he was right with God because he had money. And Lazarus, they would have thought, well, he's poor and he's lame and he has nothing. He must not be right with God. And so when Jesus would say, one went to torment and one went to Abraham's bosom or paradise, they'd have been like, oh, 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 oh no. No, no, no. Like that doesn't fit in our theology because if he had stuff, he must be blessed. And if he doesn't have stuff, he must not be blessed. Do you see how that worked? And we can be that way sometimes as well, that we can get so caught up in stuff and things thinking that if God is for us, we'll have stuff and things. But can I tell you, that's not the way it operates. 
God is forced because he sent his son to die on the cross for us. God is forced because he provides grace and strength and purpose every day of our life. And so there's a lot of different dynamics going on here in this story. The next thing is this. Jesus visited the paradise side of hell during the three days his body was in the grave and he emptied paradise when he escorted the believers there to heaven. We have these sayings in the church. I'm going to challenge you right now. Don't you dare say amen. Don't you dare clap at something if you don't understand what it means. We're like, we do this in the church. If Jesus stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Okay, what does that mean? Do you know what it means? Or are you just going to clap to it? What, what does that mean? You're seeing what that means right here. You're seeing in a very real way what Jesus did. Whether it's the Apostles' Creed, it says that he descends into hell, or, or whether it's the actual scripture, it's very clear that Jesus, he goes while he's in the grave for three days, his physical body, because you know we, we are spirits, our body stays here, our spirits are what goes. He descends in, into this place, Sheol, that's separated into how many places? Two spaces, right? Got torment on one side, got paradise on the other side, and he goes down there and he does two things. The first thing, First Peter says, he makes an announcement. It says this in verse 19, he went and preached to the spirits in prison or torment who were formerly disobedient. The Greek says, we, we wouldn't get it just the same way, but it says he made an announcement. The Messiah has come. The lamb has been slain. And a final pronouncement was made over that moment. That's the first thing he does. The next thing he does is, this is the special part, he empties paradise. He empties paradise and takes the saints to heaven with him. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. It says, When he ascended on high, he let captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does that mean? But that he also first did what? Descended to Sheol into the lower parts of the earth. Are you seeing this? Jesus, he says, it's finished. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he descends, three days body in the grave. He descends, he sets the captives free. He he brings the souls from paradise to heaven with him. Oh, you're going to appreciate communion a whole lot more now. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we talk about repentance, we talk about the the access we now have to heaven, you're going to appreciate it a whole lot more. Jesus, many times, he gave the precursor of what was going to happen. And maybe you read it and didn't know what he was talking about. But watch this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Watch what Jesus says, alluding to what he's doing here. He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the what? Part of the earth, the lower regions. And so he's letting us know, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's how much I love you. I came through 42 generations now to bring you close to me, to give you this access. No more temporary righteousness. Man, that's good news. No more every single year. Can you imagine if you and I, we sin every day, if we had to wait for one time a year? One, the, 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 the harshness and the heaviness of sin, the conviction of sin. You had to hold it all year long and say, God, forgive me for all of these things. But now we have this daily conversation, this daily opportunity to repent before him. And it's his blood that makes it possible. It's blood that makes it possible for us and, and the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen? So I hope you're learning. 
I hope you're encouraged. I hope you see the value of what Jesus did for you and for me. I hope now you, you, you see through the lens that the crucifixion, that Good Friday, that Resurrection Sunday, it's more than just a holiday. Like it gave you access to God. It gave you access to heaven. It gave you and your family access. Everyone you love, it gave them access to the kingdom of God. This is what it did. Here's the next thought. The torment side of Sheol was never intended for people. If you've never gotten this question, then that means you've at least thought it. Did you know the torment side of Sheol was never meant for people? Have you ever thought this? Why would a good God send people to hell? How could he be good? How could he do this to people? Here's what you'll have to know. God has never sent any person to hell more than a teacher has ever given a student a grade. My girls will say from time to time, well, she gave me this grade. I said, she didn't give you anything. You didn't study. That's how you got that grade. And so people will say, well, God sends people to hell. I I don't know about your religion. I don't know about your faith. That sounds like a pretty angry God. But then we have to turn their heart and their eyes to Matthew chapter 24, where this is God's heart. Watch this. He says, depart from me, you Curse into everlasting fire. Prepare for who? Say it with me. Prepare for who? The devil and his angels. The torment side of Sheol, who was that meant for? So the next time your work colleagues, the next time somebody who who took a a world religion class back in 72 and wants to educate you on on how angry and mean your God is, say, no, 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 you, you have not met my God. You have not met my Lord. Because he didn't create the torment side of Sheol. He didn't create that for people. That was for the rebellion. You know what the rebellion was? When Satan rebelled and and angels followed with him, that was created for the rebellion. And so those who would not live for God but would live for, for the world, they're part of the rebellion here on earth. And so they continue with the rebellion from earth to torment. That's what's happening in real time. We have rebellion going on in our society. We have people who don't want to put the word of God first. They want to put the way they feel first. They're searching, like the prophet said, for love in all the wrong places. This is part of the rebellion that you and I are seeing very real in our culture. 2 Peter 3.9 describes the God you and I serve. It says that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come. There's that word again. To what? He's not willing any should perish, but all that would come that the rich man said from torment to repentance, that we would come to a place, not just throw up a hand and say, I go to church and say, I go on the holidays and say, I go every now and then when when I get a chance, I check in, I check out, but that we would repent. That means turn from living for myself, living for the world. And I would seek God, like the Bible says, with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, love my neighbor as myself. This is the heart of our God. And so here's what I want to do today. If if you have grown up in a home and your parents weren't loving, if you have grown up around Christians who weren't loving, if you were around a church or a pastor who weren't loving, and everything you've seen is just hard and callous and judgmental, and God can't wait to come down on your sin, and he can't wait to rebuke you, that is not the heart of our Father. He is loving. He is merciful. As a matter of fact, he created a way around his judgment with Jesus. Because, see, if God doesn't pronounce judgment, he's no longer God. He's not just. 
And so Jesus goes, he pronounces judgment as we read, but he made a way through the temporary sacrifice. And today, if you look at your life, if I look at my life, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve mercy. Oh, but there's a workaround through the blood of Jesus. Anybody grateful for that? We are going to appreciate the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, more than we ever have before. When you think of what our lives could be headed for, torment. God wouldn't let it happen. The escape plan of the wrath of God is Jesus. Here's the next thought. The present Hades, or Sheol, will be destroyed when it and its occupants are thrown into the lake of fire for eternal suffering. And so if you ever wondered, how does that end? We know that from paradise went to heaven. Well, how does the torment side of Sheol end? Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 tells us very clearly. Then death and Hades were cast into what? Like a fire. That's how it ends. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast to lake of fire. Does anybody know what the book of life is? That when we repent, we live for God. Our names are written in the book. It's a beautiful thing. And, and for some that here today, that maybe hell is a heavy conversation. Like, man, that's, that's a lot to swallow. Did you know that Jesus loved you and I so much? He talked about hell more than heaven. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus loved you and I so much that he gives actual depictions of torment? He says weeping and gnashing of teeth. He used the plural form of not torment, but torments. He says, you don't want to go there. You don't want to live for yourself in just this vapor of a life. Are you aware our life is but a vapor? It's a drop in the bucket of eternity. He, 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 uh, like a good parent, he lets us know you don't want to live for yourself in this life to where in the afterlife you're separated from God. Because here's the scariest thing about torment. The scariest thing about being separated is this, is that you and I, I don't care how hard your life has been. I don't care what tough times that you have had. You have never been separated from the presence of God. Never. And the scariest thing about torment and the reason why I preach and I teach the way I do is because I pray none of us end up there. Separated from the presence of God. Separated from the love of God. Separated from the mercy of God. Yes, it talks about fire and brimstone and suffering and everlasting pain. But to be separated from the presence of God? You and I have never been there. Our children have never been there. If you have grandchildren, they've never been there. Separated from the presence of God, it's incomprehensible. And so our little witness cards, our little series, our little church, there's no time to waste. We're dealing right now with a rebellion in our world. People think they're finding themselves. No, you're not finding yourself. You're losing yourself. You find yourself through the words of God. He told him, he said, they have Moses, they have the prophets, which is to say, they have the words of God. Now, if they don't want to read it, we can't do anything about that. If they don't want to follow it, we can't do anything about that. But man, we can sure encourage them with it. We can sure make sure when we're posting scriptures, they're uplifting and encouraging and pointing people to Messiah and not tearing them down and dividing them. We sure could do that, couldn't we? You know, it's funny that we say that we pray for our spouse we pray for our, 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 our nation. We pray for our coworkers. But oftentimes, we pray for what we want them to do and not pray for repentance and pray for a heart towards God. 
And so what we see here is that the Lord is preparing us to prepare others. Because chances are, Monday morning at the office, wherever your Monday morning is going to look like, no one's talking about hell. No one's talking about torment. No one's talking about the two different places that are going to happen after this afterlife. It's funny because New York Times best-selling books is, I had a vision of heaven. I had a vision of hell. We've got it right here. Got it right here. We've got everything that we need to know is right here in preparing us and hoping, giving us a heart for those who are far from God. Because in real time, there's no time to waste. I made this up in my heart. I will never attend another funeral and in my heart saying, did I do enough to give them the good news of Jesus? Did I plant a seed? So they at least they had the option to make a choice. I just won't. I'm going to be that intentional in my life. And this past couple of months, vividly, I've sat across some people who were complete unbelievers. And I had to lovingly paint a picture that there's going to be two options at the end of your life. And, you know, sometimes you get the smirk or the glare or the kind of the rolling of the eyes. But with all sincerity and all love for them, I had to let them know there's going to be an option that you have today. And you have before you end your life. And I love you enough to tell you that. And so that's what Jesus does here in this exchange. And here's the last thought. The last thought is God doesn't let us choose when we die, but he lets us choose where we spend eternity after death. He's so graceful. He's so merciful. He's so full of love. He's an everlasting father full of grace and mercy. He doesn't let us choose when we die, just where we spend eternity. And he gives us direct access, no longer through temporary righteousness, but through eternal righteousness to the person of Jesus. The caveat is no one knows how long they have. The rich man, he didn't understand that tomorrow's not promised. And many of us are living like we're going to live forever. Many of us, we're building bigger barns. We're preparing life insurance policies for family and friends, and the spiritual policy is out the window. I want you to know this. Your children and your grandchildren will benefit a whole lot more from a spiritual inheritance than a financial inheritance. How many of us have seen that ruin people, having too much money at a young age, and, but a spiritual inheritance? There's nothing greater. And God lets you and I choose in a very real way what our final destination is. It's the word of God that changes our hearts. It's the word of God that changes the hearts of those who we love. It's God's purpose and God's plan and God's design for us to be his image bearers. Did you know that? That's his plan. How do we reach humanity today? How do we reach our community today, our household, our homes today? You, me. How do we reach our culture? You, me. Stop pulling down and build up with the word of God. That's how we do it. We saw in the depiction, the, the rich man, he, he thought about his five brothers. And if you have family, you have friends who don't know God, but they're good people. Anybody know any people like that? They're good people. They're just good people. But they have not repented. He says, my five brothers are good people. 
But could you just send someone from the dead to show them? Can you, can you just show them? And what he failed to see is that he was the one that God sent. He failed to see he was the one that God sent. And what I need you to know is that you are the one that God sent. In your home, first. In your workplace, your family reunions, your gatherings, your workspace. You are the one that God sent. And so never go to another funeral or hear somebody passing. Oh, I wish they would have had an opportunity. I don't know where they went. You have to know you were the one sent. I was the one sent. And here's what he finds out. He said, no, you were the one sent and you didn't lead well. You weren't a good example. And so now the finality is that he's in torment. And unless something happens, all five of his siblings are heading to torment with him. Some of you might say, well, I don't have the words. You don't need the words the Bible says. Because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. Just trust that as you love people, as you share your faith and what God has done in your life, that some seed will be planted. Because some people, they're, they're standoffish, right? But as you plant a seed and say, man, this is what God has done in my life, and in my family, and in my career, and in my mental health, and my emotional health, this is what God has done. You don't need the words. The Holy Spirit will, will let your testimony be all that, that needs to translate. You don't need the words because Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 gives you the words when it says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be what? I don't have the words. There they are. Just sharing that good news of the kingdom. Knowing that now you're a bit, you're a bit more astute, right? Now you know about Sheol. Now you know about tour men and in paradise, and now how we have direct access that after Jesus resurrects from the dead in his blood, he empties paradise. Now we have direct access to be with our king. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. John the Revelator, when he goes in Revelations, he's not talking anymore about paradise or shield, is he? He's talking about heaven. Where he said ten thousands and ten thousands and thousands, they fall before his altar. See, in our church culture, we just kind of stand and worship and, you know, prayer time, we just kind of stand there. But John said, no, 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 no. When you get a revelation of who he is, it says they fell at his feet. It says they took their crowns off and they just, this means nothing anymore. Everything that I live for, everything I built my life around, my reputation, my ego, my title, my, my everything, they said they just, this means nothing. And they just fall prostrate. Not in paradise, but in heaven. Because Jesus gave us access. Jesus went to Sheol, sold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He gave us access to the kingdom of God. And so I tell you this, church family, in the times that we live in, more than ever, there's no time to waste. If you ever thought if you should invite someone if you ever thought you should pray for someone, if you ever thought you should stop and ask how someone's day is going, if you ever thought, should I live for God? Ah, uh, should I get my life right now? Do I have time? Well, let me live a little bit more life. If you ever thought there was more time, I wouldn't do that. Watch our message from last week with the phases we're in near the return of Christ. 
If you don't know, you need to know. And that's not hokey. That's not weird. That's just looking at the weather report. We know the times and the seasons and that the return of Christ is near and that we have this wonderful opportunity to prepare hearts. So Lord, we thank you for this message directly from the mouth of Jesus. No interpretation really needed. You show us the urgency, Lord, of the afterlife and how what we do in this life prepares us for that life. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that we begin to to check our hearts and not do we believe in God, but have we repented? Have we turned from the life that we have always lived to another life? And if we have not, let this be the moment. Whether in the building or online, Father, let these be the moments we turn our hearts towards you. Where we don't find a life like the rich man where stuff has us. But we like Lazarus, Lord, no matter the circumstance or the condition, we have a repentive heart and a heart fixed on you. And so as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, here's what I want to ask you to pray. That you ask God to search your heart. And that if you are far from God in any way, this would be a moment of repentance. If there's things that are unsure in your life and if you have looked at your life and, and if you call yourself a believer but yet your lifestyle has never changed, you've never given God your complete loyalty and allegiance, this would be that day. If you run, maybe stuck up a hand or, or ran to the altar but didn't know there was requirements in, in discipleship, that this would be a day of rededication or maybe for some true salvation for the first time. That you would search your heart because as your pastor and as your church, we're not playing games. We're going to make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord. And so God, I pray these moments are honoring to you. I pray that you're speaking to the heart of your people. And I pray that with, with gratefulness and thankfulness, Lord, we receive the word that you gave us as there's no time to waste. And so if you're far from God in any way in this place or online, I'm going to pray a prayer with you along with our church. And if you need to repent, which means to turn from whatever ways you are living that don't glorify God, we're going to ask you to do that today. And if you've never prayed the prayer to welcome Jesus and the Holy Spirit to your life, we're going to also pray that you do that today. And it's as you move forward, you have this sureness in your heart. And know that you have taken that step to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Church, pray this with me and those who are going to pray this prayer. Lord God, we believe in you. We repent of our sins and turn our eyes towards you. Holy Spirit, give us a hunger for your word and for discipleship and to welcome Jesus into everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Put your hands together for the goodness of our King and our Lord.